And now we had this tasting that was in a supermarket in Ohio, yeah. Um, and there was this old lady who dropped by, you know, and tasted a Naus laser, you know. And, you know, Naus laser's pretty sweet, you mm -hmm. know, and tasted the Naus laser and said, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful dry Riesling I ever had, you know. And then my, my national salesman, Brian Harlan, said, yes, my lady. This is Ohio dry. <laughs> <laughs> so we call now sweet wines always Ohio dry. Ohio dry, yeah. <laughs> That's Ohio dry. <laughs>
even that there was there was not a drop of reasoning in this all this deep rummage stuff, you know. Uh, they, yeah, and that that was we had been that was a tough time in these days. You know, nobody had been interested in the German wine because they all the only thing that people had been thinking about of Germany in these days was Blue Nun and Black Tower, you know, mm. and Madonna, you know, and mm. whatever the names had been for this stuff, you know. So it took us definitely you can say it took us. 30 years, you know, to come back, you know, to, to, to make people again see that this is reasoning. Reasoning is a grape variety and not a brand, not a blue nun brand, you know, right. and that these two things have nothing to do to each other, you know, but thanks God, these brands are more or less dead. They're, they're not any more important as a, as a, as a brand for, for Germany, you know, it is thanks God. It's reasoning again. It's the fine wine growers again. The, you know, that the people and that has, I, has also something due to do due to the to the American market because the American market became so strong by buying varietals. You know, that was not in Europe the case. Still in France, they're still not allowed to put the varietals on the label. You know, sure. I mean, they're not allowed to put Pinot Noir or Chardonnay on a only on in a Alsace, right? And, yeah. But Alsace is German in France, no? Of course. And so, but yeah. that was not the case. And even until 71, my father, my grandfather, until 71, they never put Riesling on the label because a Mosel was Riesling. That was, I mean, yeah. if you bought a Mosel, it was Riesling. As you buy a white Burgundy, it's Chardonnay, you know? It was clear, but sadly... Or Aligoté, but it's such yeah, a small but, percentage. But Aligoté, uh, they write on the label. They do, yeah. So, if it is not Chardonnay, then they have to put Aligoté on it, you know, if it is a different grape variety. So if it is a white and there's not a grape variety on it, it has to be Chardonnay. Yeah. So from that point, it was clear. But then the wine law gave the people, 71 wine law gave the growers, especially these big bottling lines, so many options, you know, to basically to, to sheet, you know, sheeting, you know, by using fancy names, you know, which has nothing to do with the vineyard, like Großlage, Peaceburger, Michelsburg, you know, which sounds like Goldtröpfen, which is a grow group. Um, think that it is Riesling, there's no top of Riesling in there. So sadly, the, the, this wine law was written not for the growers, was written for the big bottling lines, you know, mm. for the gallows of the world that they can pump out huge quantities, you know. Um, but there are no huge quantities out of Concluser, you know. So, and then they made these fake names, which sound like Grand Cru, you know, and then they can bottle millions of millions of liters under this fake name, which sounds like Grand Cru, and that destroyed basically the German industry in the 70s and 80s, you know, and it took us 30 years again, you know, us growers, you know, to rebuild the reputation of high-end Vineyards, Grand Cru, German vineyards, which have been always famous, like Wilner Sonne or Schatzhofberg, you know, I mean, uh, Johannesburg, you know, uh, uh, my God, that was Steinberg, that was famous, famous, famous Grand Cru's of, of Germany, 100 years ago, even more famous, you know, as first Yeah, that's Laris, interesting, right, you know? I, this is something that actually mm -hmm. I learned uh, a while ago when I was in the Faults, it was, you mm -hmm. know, in the 19th century, the end of the 19th century, the most mm. expensive wine had been German Rieslings in the, Riesling. in the English court, you know. Yeah. And the, with the English wine merchants, 1900, around 1900, the Riesling from Rhine and Mosel had been the most expensive wines in the world. More expensive, two to three times more expensive as first growth clarets, you know. Wow. 
unbelievable. But they've got amazing aging potential, yeah. incredibly light, complex. Light clarets, you know. The grape is, mm. is, is so versatile. You can do everything yeah. with it. You can make sparkling wine, dry wine. Mm. We're having yes, air. But, yeah. So, yeah. so we are working on that again, you know. Mm. We, I mean, we did, a long, we did a good way. I mean, so the last 30 years have been very, I mean, working for us, you know. Uh, we don't have any problem with the top sommeliers at the top. Uh, journalists, you know, Jensen Robinson always had been writing very, very well and very positive about Riesling, you know. But she once told me and said, look, I mean, I'm so astonished, you know. If I write very positive about a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, people immediately boom, oh, great, grabbing it, you know, going out and buying it, you know. Mm -hmm. I rave about German Rieslings. Nobody is interested. Nobody goes for it, you know. But so sommeliers, that is a funny thing. Huh? Yeah, sommeliers are very interesting. You know, yes. if you ask any good sommelier, yes, they what they drink in their free time, yeah. oh, absolutely, no, they're problem, acid no. heads, right? No. So they love the acidity, uh, they love yeah. the freshness. It doesn't tire your yes. palate out. It's uh, it's it's a little bit amazing. Why is it that they if they if you write about whatever you know, someone blown from New Zealand or whatever Chardonnay from I don't know from the Languedoc, you know, as a famous journalist, ooh, people go out and say, oh, I have to taste it. If they write even more positive about reasoning, yeah, nothing happens. But so it is much better than it used to be, you know. Yeah. When I started, it was terrible. I tell you, it was terrible when I started. You know. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you have any um, any specific stories, oh, nightmare stories? My or? God! In these days, you know, England is still the world market, you know, for wine. You know, if you go to London, you know, it was and it is still, you know. You can find everything in, 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 in London, you know, and, you know, and the journalists, um, there are a lot of journalists, you know, wine has a certain reputation in this country. And so I, I, I remember late 80s, you know, so I had an importer, I found an importer where I've been going, we tried to sell German high-end, I mean, handmade, handcrafted German reasoning and everything. said, what? Hey, I need a container, I leave from it, you know. Uh, can you sell it for me? It's, but I mean, uh, it's a, oh, one mark. I pay maximum one mark a bottle, you know. I said, no, 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 I'm in fine reasoning. We have Grand Cru Vineyards. And said, what? Nobody's interested in this shit, you know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. German wine in these days was only the promise, you know. That was yeah. the only thing which the people had in their hand. And so from that point of view, it was very, very difficult to, to, to go around and sell high, high end Riesling from high end vineyards, uh, in England. And what so, was the know. market at that time? I mean, you're still producing it, right? You still have these, the, the yeah, yeah, sure. Where was the market? Sadly, also not in Germany, you know, Germans didn't drink then German wines, you know, uh, mm -hmm. um, they drank French wines, you know, French was number one in these days. Then they have been moving to Italian wines as now, Italian is now, Number one, you know, but it's still 50% of the consumption in Germany is still foreign wines, you know, 50%. So we still don't consume all of our own wines we produce, you know. Um, but the market in these days was to, that's the reason we are still strong in the US, you know, uh, was the US, you know, well, the US was still the strong market for us, you know, mm -hmm. in these days. My father sold nearly 90% to the US, you know, the whole, the whole production to the US, you know. Interesting. But that was then, get very difficult in 86 you know the dollar dropped so badly and it was from a huge real estate Euro, crisis not three yeah. from three deutsche mark 40 and dropped to down to one mark 40 
and you know you can imagine the prices of imported wines tripled. No, that was the great days of then for for California because in these days California wines had been also fifty dollars or forty dollars. You know, but Chateau Latour was also only forty dollars. So then the people said, I'd rather buy a shot of Latour than $40 Mondavi, you know, whatever, you know, and that was the early days of the California Napa wine industry, you know. But then with 86, when the dollar dropped so drastically, suddenly, you know, I mean, California wines were still $40, but Chateau Latour was suddenly $120 because right. the price is tripled because the, the currency had been, you know, I mean, going down by 150%, you know. So suddenly the Chateau Latour was $120. And then the people said, oh, well, then, you know, Cabernet, you know, Californian Cab is also very nice, you know. And that is only a third of the price now, you know. Yeah. And used to be the same like Latour and Magot and whatever, you know, before I mean, when, when the dollar was so strong still, you know. Yeah. And so from that point of view, that was a killer for us too, you know. Took us possibly 10 Oh, more 10, 12 years, 15 years, you know, I mean, from 86, yeah, 90, 2000, 2000, the market was strong again, you know, for us, you know. Uh, well, the economy came us, back too. You had yeah, the economy really, came back. Yeah. And so it is, uh, but it took us pretty long to get this back because the dollar never get as strong again as it used to be 83, 84, you know, 82. Sure. So, but then came back, you know, I mean, and we had a very good market, still strong market in the U.S., still very good, very good, until we got the tariffs. <laughs> yeah. When was it? April last year, I think. Yeah. Like April. April so we now year. have a 25% tariff with the uh, looming threat of going to 100%, which is, as we were talking not, before I mean, we started here. Until you're here, <laughs> cross fingers, hopefully not. That, yeah. would, that definitely would kill, I mean, that kills the import. I mean, because now... Even because we all know 25% import tax doesn't mean 25% price increase because because of the three-tier system. Everyone's is, taking a cut. It's compounding. It, it's 50% price increase, you know. So that means a, a wine, which is now $12, $20, is basically $30, you know. And 50, you know, people, I think people do 10, 10% price increase. You can... You can stomach it. You can stomach it. But, but when your champagne goes from $50 to $100 a bottle. Yeah, and that is barely even more if they go 100% tariff, you know. Then it is not going from 50 to 100. It's going from 50 to 150, you know. Because you have, because right. it, it triples basically, you know. Yeah. Um, so from that point of view, and that, I've, nobody is doing this, you know. That, then, then, then. It's that is done, you know. I mean, I'm sure the few, few billionaires in the world, you know, they don't care about that, you know. Mm -hmm. But certainly, not everybody's a billionaire. <laughs> no. <laughs> so from that point of view, that what that that would kill the whole thing, you know. Then then it's, I think that it stops then any imports. I'm just wondering, is your is your risk mitigated at all from the standpoint that you've established American entities and are creating wine in the states through partnership or on your own? No, no. Um, I mean, you know, the, the uh, Lowland Brothers USA is my own company, as the J. Christopher, you know, the winery in Oregon is my own company, which uh, with, uh, but then I have this joint venture with Chateau Saint Michel, where we produce the Riesling together. This is a joint venture. Yeah. Sure. Eroica, which is Eroica. Fabulous yes, wine. Yes, yes. And I'm a huge fan of Chateau Saint Michel. Uh, yes, so yes. Oh, so very, I also want to. Very nice company. Very yeah. nice company. I mean, really, I, for such a big company, they're doing a really good job. 
I mean, they really still focus. I mean, let's see how long the uh, Altria, these big companies, still allow it, you know. But so far, they gave them a lot of freedom. I mean, the head winemaker, Bob Bateau, always said, it's Ernst, I have been working for other big companies. But I was, I'm so astonished, you know, how much they let us do whatever we want. I mean, we still, even the cheap Chardonnays, are all going through barriques and all the other big companies it's shipped, you know, but we can do still the, I mean, traditional winemaking, even with our entry level wines, you know, that costs great. a lot of money, but he said, this is amazing for such a big company that they are letting us, um, to do these things, you know, mm -hmm. and financing it. That is the other thing too. And you know, big companies, they always want to cut costs, cut costs, cut, you know, we, right. we need bigger margins. We need bigger margins and so on. And they have been very, and he said, we are, we are very blessed with this company that these people let us do our job as best as we can do. You know? How did that relationship begin? Who reached out to whom? I reached and out to them in 99, you know, to the old CEO in these days, Alan Choup. And so he was pretty open because he also started this, uh, the thing two years earlier, nine, I think, 1996, um, with Antinori. They have this, you know, this Col Solare mm -hmm. is this, the joint venture they have with Antinori. That was very, very successful. And a friend of mine from Oregon, lawyer, um, who had been working for, had some, some things together with working together with these guys said look i mean you know why you're not ever they do this very successful project and joint venture with Antinori. why you not approach them because they are the largest recent producer single recent producer in the world you know chateau saint michel right. and we all know Riesling needs some lifts some bass you know because we we everybody knows that Riesling is a correct priority but it is still cheap and has a bad you know so they um, they should be also interested you know that that try to do something to give this whole thing you know again a better image you know and reputation so I said that's a good idea and so I wrote them you know and said look you know why are we not putting the best out of the old world together with the best out of the new world you know and try to work up the reputation of reasoning again, and the image, get a better image for reasoning. There is nothing wrong with a great variety of reasoning. It's only the image right. which these wines have, you know? So we have to work on the image, you know? Did you have a strategy about what, that, like the flavor profile? Should it no, have... I mean, no, because a flavor profile is very much determined by the microclimate, by the soil. You can't produce a Mosul Riesling in Washington State, sure. as I can't produce a Washington State Riesling here in the Mosul or whatever, an Elsass Riesling in Rheingau or so, you know. What you have to do, you have to find the best expression of Riesling for the area. I didn't want to produce a Mosul Riesling in Washington State. We wanted to produce the best Washington State Riesling and get, an, and get a profile for Washington State Riesling. Not what the flavor profile we have here is related to the slate, to the soil, to the microclimate. The, 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 the profile we have in Washington is related to the, to the microclimate there, to the soil there, and etc. You know, sure, Riesling has a certain profile, you know, stone fruit and so on, no? but it is, might be here with certain soils, more, more green apple with, with soils, you know, and, 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 and Washington we have then rather the yellow yellow peach or so, whatever it is, or stone fruit. But, um, but from that point of view, it is, um, 
the, the goal was to make the best what you can do in Washington with Riesling, you know, right. and find out where you have to, you know, in the old days, they grow everywhere, wine, you know, yeah. I didn't care what, what fits where. Well, it was one of those advantages we, in the now, States, right? You know, 20 years later, we know yeah. that you shouldn't grow Riesling in Cold Creek, which they thought all, in the old days, they thought Cold Creek is the best vineyard for Riesling. Bullshit, you know. I mean, that is it's too warm, right? Because I remember hot, reading it. Yeah. Far too hot, you know. So we found much better ancient lakes. Ancient lakes looks much better for Riesling. So higher elevation, more north, you know. Higher elevation, much cooler, longer hang time, and so you know that we found is a much better area. But it took us. I mean, it take takes some time to find out where is the best stuff. You know, Yakima is also a right. good area. And so that is definitely, we know so much more now after 20 years as we, when we started, you know. <laughs> yeah. The Horse Heaven Hills, is that the one that you mentioned before? Is that no, 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 no. Yakima, where we have been going Yakima and now Ancient Lakes, you know. Ancient Lakes. Uh, okay. Horse Heaven, this is where we do uh, the, because it's close to the Columbia River, there we do the Botrytis wines, you know, because we need the moisture, like here, the river, right. the moisture of the river to get the Botrytis, you know. Where you don't have moisture, you can't have botrytis. So that is our vineyard where we do all your TBAs, you know, and single late harvest or whatever, you know. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So this valley, obviously, they've been growing grapes here for 2,000 years, right? So yes, it was yeah. the Romans who brought the wine growing. I mean, the Romans brought to each place where they, which they conquered, they brought wine growing because wine was a very important product for the Roman legionaries, you know. Because the Roman government, you know, paid the legionnaires in wine and wheat and oil, not monetary. Why? You know, they, they gave them much more wheat and oil and wine they could consume, you know, for themselves. But that is the best way to colonize an area, you know, hmm. because it's a colonization of these, these guys from Italy came here into the, Woods, you know, yeah. where all these German tribes, oh, you know, <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, same in, same in America when you guys came over, you know, how you can, how you get natives, you know, um, uh, colonized. You give them alcohol. <laughs> alcohol is always very good. Right. These people drink, you know, honey, wine from made from honey, but wine is much better, you know. <laughs> so it was a very valuable trading uh, product, you know, wine, oil. That people didn't know oil too, wheat because these these tribes had been you know they had been hunters you know yeah. and wheat you know so to bake bread so very valuable items so that's the reason as soon the the Romans I mean settled down in their castellums you know in their castles immediately a lot of people settled around it that is how 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 cities started you know right. because these people these native people that. Uh, traded with the Roman soldiers and so they learned each other so it's much easier to colonize a country by making business as killing them all you know yeah. and so the people uh, the get get known you know the foreigners which came into the country and so this trading you know was a huge impact to the colonization of the of the of the new countries they they conquered you know and that's the reason they gave the but you know, that they don't have to transport everything from Italy, I mean, into the whole Roman Empire, which is nearly impossible. So they're a very clever system. The old legionnaires, the old soldiers, you know, who have been, you know, after 20 years. Campaigning for 20 years. 20, 20 years campaigning. 
they get land in the backyard of the army, you know, and had to grow wine, wheat, and oil. Hmm. And, the, and the government bought it, which was again then, you know, gave to the soldiers, and then they traded with us in the beginning, you know. Right. That's the reason it was so important, I mean, to transporting all the wine from Italy up to here, f***ing Mosul, you know, on <laughs> roads, you know, which was not highways, you know, yeah, yeah. and then they didn't know oak barrels, the Romans, they need, they know only amphoras yeah. out of tone, you know. Um, so can you imagine how much broke on, on this traveling, you know? Okay. So that was, by the way, also an invention of the Germanic tribes, Celtic tribes, you know? They knew how to make vats, buckets, vats out of wood. Okay. The Romans didn't know that. They had only, you know, uh, stuff, I mean, you know, amphoras out of, you know, pottery, you know, which okay. broke. Okay. But then... You can imagine, and they also produced the wine in these big doyas and big pottery, I mean, amphoras, which could keep 500, 600 liters, you know. Mm. They never know about oak. You can imagine when they found out about oak barrels, what the Germanic tribes know how to produce, you know. First, they had been able to, to transport bigger quantities because an amphora was only 60 liters. But a barrel was two, three hundred liters, you know. Mm. So they had been able to transport higher quantities on the roads, and these fucking barrels didn't break, you know, <laughs> no, because they are, you know, flexible. They are, you know, yeah. they could <clears throat> this road, you know. So great. I mean, that was very, very fast. The whole wine industry turned into making wine, not anymore in amphoras, into barrels after yeah. they. Discovered the Romans. That's fascinating. Barrels, I didn't actually no? know that the Romans actually took that from from the Germanic from tribes. Germania, yeah, yeah. The, because I mean, sure, these people here, I mean, have been living in woods. I mean, it was gigantic woods here, you know, in 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 free Germania, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they everything behind the lemurs, you know, the lemurs wall, you know, mm -hmm. huge forests, you know. These people knew what how to make a lot of things of, out of wood, you know. Mm. They had buckets out of wood, they had barrels out of wood, you know. So they knew how to do it, you know. Because Italy, you know, they already, I mean, cut down all the forests. They did. Only 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Deforest right. everything where they've been, you know. Right. Where the Romans have been, whoop, all the woods have been gone because they deforest everything, you know. Right. So from that point of view, here the people knew it. And that was pretty fast. They adapted this kind of technology, mm. which because it was... Fantastic for, and then you see the old Roman wine ship from Nor uh, here from Neumagen, the village here, which they founded. It was a graveyard, you know, Roman wine ship about 300, 350 after Christ, you know. Wow. And there you see already on the Roman wine ship, you know, that they transported only barrels. Already, Interesting. You know, only barrels, you know. Fascinating. Yeah, I was just actually down in, in southern Italy. We were in Sicily and we were, mm -hmm. uh, we were even in Pompeii. So, you know, stacks of amphora sitting there, yeah. you know, uh, and yeah, it's, it's wooded on that side of the Apennines, but on the other, they just basically took every tree and, and, yeah, and used yeah, it. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So now I want to get a little bit into the, mm. the, in the vineyard, the viticultural practice mm. here, because this is one of the most unique places mm. on mm. earth just because of the geography. And we are at almost the northern limit of wine, you know. It used to be, here. the Bozo was used to be in this size, you know, with mm -hmm. 10,000 hectares in the old days or more, 13,000. We are now 8,000 hectares. But in this size, it was 
always historically the most northern growing wine region. Yeah. So I want to ask with climate changing and it's things getting north. warmer, it is it's, moving north because yeah. I know that I've heard they're planting grapes in Belgium and things like that. Um, uh, even there's now uh, 50, 60 hectares in south of uh, Sweden, you know, Malmö. England already has more than a sure. thousand hectares now. Sure, yeah, you know? I mean, there was vineyards in Roman time because that was a much warmer. So from that point of view, we, we have to compare a little bit. It is, sure, we have now global warming and it's much more warmer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there was not a time where it was also as warm as it was, is now. Because we know in the medieval time there was a warm, t- uh, 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 what they call it, a warm yeah. side, a warm side, a warm time, and then with the, um, you can say, with the middle of the 17th century, we got a 200, 250 year cold time again. You know, so a lot of um, there in these days, a lot of wine growing regions, which have been even in Prussia and so disappeared. You know, mm. but in Roman times it was also very warm, so you had. You could, I mean, the Romans also grow wine in England in these days, and it worked very well because it was much warmer in these days, as possibly as it as warm as it is nowadays. You know, so we have with the climate, we have this up and down. It is not the way that it was never as. I mean, sure, we have global warming, but it doesn't necessarily mean that in the past, you know, it was always it, cold, it, yeah. it wasn't uh, that warm because we had warm days in the Roman time. It was pretty warm, a warm phase, you know, mm-hmm. where you had. Where the Romans have been easily could grow also already in these days, uh, vineyards, you know, mm-hmm. and then you had this kind of phase and it was a cold time again. And then there was this warm phase again between, I think, 1300, uh, 1200 to, um, 1650. So I think with the, with the end of the 30 year war, you know, 1648, it became much cold again. And so a lot of, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and so, a lot of wine growing had been lost because suddenly you didn't get it, didn't get it ripe anymore, you know. And then we all know. And then in the in the late um, uh, 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 late eighteenth uh, century, you know, where a lot of you know, and early nineteenth century, where all this hunger was, you know. I mean, in in in, in Ireland, you know, and so famine. Yeah, that was sure. such a. Cold, very cold period, you know, was very difficult to grow anything, not only wine, also agriculture, lots of rain, cold. That was a difficult time. You know? yeah. But here you, you're blessed because you have the, you know, the way that but the river is carved, yeah, you have exactly. this microclimate. Because the microclimate is here a big asset, you know, to grow wine because you need, sure, you need warmness, you know, you need a warm vineyard to get the grapes ripe, you know, but the microclimate here due to south-facing slopes, you know, and steepness, which direct inclination of sunshine, the valley, which protects the area from the cold winds and the mountains, you know. Um, There we have snow. Down here we don't have snow because the Mosul is only 100 meters above sea level here, you know. But up the if you go up the hill, it is for 500 meters, up to 800 meters, you know, above sea level. That's far to go, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, if you go up in the here in the Hunsrück Mountains, you know, or in the Eiffel Mountains, um, that's, I mean, you barely get the potatoes right there, you know. <laughs> um, so it's very poor land, you know. But down here, but the good thing is, this is poor land here too. But cra- I mean, vineyards, grapes, you know, vines need poor soil. Right. They do best in poor soil. But if you want to grow wheat, uh, these things, you know, 
that doesn't work then. You don't have any yield. But for wine, these stony slopes, you know, where you can't do anything else, you can grow wine. And you have this blue slate and and red slate. Well, it's all the same slate. It's all from Devonian time, 400 million years old. The different colors of the slate comes from oxidation, you know. You have red slate, which is completely oxidized blue slate. You have brown slate, but it is all different degrees of oxidation. But But it's the same slate, all from the same time. From Devonian time, 400 million years old. And it took the river 200 million years, you know, to dig this valley, you know. 200 million years, the, the river need to dig this valley, you know. So through what we call the whole area, we call the, the slate hills of the Rhineland, you know. Rheinische right. Schiefergebirge, the slate hills of the Rhineland, you know. And it took the river Mosel to dig through the slate hills of the Rhineland, this, this meandering river, for 200 million years. Yeah. And it's just, it's so fortunate. And the way that this river is, too, it's, mm. it's so still and so flat. Mm. And it, it As long as it's not flooded, I tell it's you, like, come here <laughs> in winter and you have a flood here, then the river is not still. And it is pretty fast and pretty violent, you know? Wow. So now it looks so silent and so, so serene. Calm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, everything is so calm and so, you know? Don't come in winter, you know, we, we have floodings, then it looks different, you know, and we have a lot of floodings, yeah. <laughs> but it, it helps though too, right? Because you get a little bit of reflection, is that true? Or I mean, this whole reflection thing with the river, I already, I also, also have been taught, telling, I mean, since 30 years, I have been telling the people, oh, you know, the reflection of the sunshine from the river into the vineyard, you know, and then once a geologist said, look, I mean, this is... It's great. It's a great story. It's it sounds romantic, you know. But sorry, there is no that has no impact to the ripeness of the grapes at all. <laughs> they said no. It is the steep slopes, you know, south facing. Sure, it's more closer to the river, but that has nothing to do with the refle- that has with the reflection of the warmness reservoir of the river right. because the river. I mean, as lakes are always moderating the climate, you know, because as more closer you come to the to the water, you know, as say a little bit more milder, you know, and that you can see it. If you are up, I mean, the elevation from the river, one hundred meter to the top, you know, of the mountains is about four hundred meters the top. So we have three hundred meters of elevation, you know, and so the best way you see it is. In winter, you want to do ice wine, you need minimum minus eight. If you reach up there, so that's the reason everybody tries to make their ice wine up the hill. Because if you have minus eight there, you have only minus five down here just on the river. Because the river has always a moderation in in climate, you know. So it's a little bit, you know, moderating the climate and a little bit warmer. So it means that, sure, the vineyards which are more close to the river are warmer than the one it's more far away from the river. But that doesn't, I mean, that sure, it is the warmness which reflects, not to the vineyard, which reflects to, to the environment around it and makes the, the lower elevated vineyards slightly warmer then, but the light which is reflected, this has no. Yeah, sure. I mean, I possibly they mean they mean the reflection of the of the warmness of the river, you know, not the reflection, the the climate which the river creates, you know, right. buying uh, buying buying a water, you know, mm-hmm. 
But then, I mean, you have the advantage, I guess, with the these these rocks, the slate. Yeah, it the does slate retain itself, heat. The slate, yes, it, it definitely, I mean, retains the heat and has a big um, natural source of um, potassium. As we all know, potassium is the most, I mean, important fertilizer in agriculture. It doesn't matter if it is wine or weed or whatever, you know. Potassium is one of the most important, you know, fertilizers usually in agriculture if you use if you use them. But we have with the with the with the slate, we have a huge natural natural source of potassium. You don't have to you don't need to 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 to, to fertilize these vineyards because you have the that you have this stuff, you know, and that is, I mean, sure, it's a very, very slow source, you know, because the, the, the slate, the stones weathers down very, very slowly, but it always delivers a little bit of potassium to the vineyard, which is a natural source of, of, of fertilizer, you know. Mm. I, I was noticing, too, just the, the training system. Mm. So they're individually staked. Yes, but and this is going back to Roman times, you know. Right. Since Roman times, there are old grave stones, you know, here in the museum in Berncastle, you see it just in the entrance hall. You see this uh, a copy of an old Roman gravestone where they already have this training system. It's on there, you know. Really? So the Romans in the steep slope, because the Romans only grow vine in areas where they couldn't grow anything else, you know, because that is, I mean, because wheat was much more important as wine. I mean, as I call it, wheat, you have to feed yourself. You have to feed yourself, you know? yeah. And so. They always grow into steep slopes. They grow, I mean, Côte-Roti, Hermitage, these steep slopes have been all started by the Romans, you know, because you couldn't grow anything else there. I mean, you know, so, so they took the forest off and grow wine there. Or oil trees, oil trees you can also grow in, 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 in steep slopes, you know. Like, I mean, down in Italy, they have their olive trees, olive but here trees. it was then rather nut, nuts, you know, okay. nut, nut trees, you know, where they, I mean, where they took the oil off, you know. Um, so, so that is what they grow, you know, in the steep slopes. Huh? And therefore, they in the steep slopes, the most easiest way to to grow or to 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 manage a vineyard, you know, is single stakes, you know, because then you can you can work this way up the hill, you know, much more less exhausting as buying up and down, up and down, up and down, you know. Right. Does it also help with? Um with airflow and I mean, do you have much uh, risk? Uh, but from this, well, I mean, you mean frost or whatever? No. Well, either frost or, or even dampness and and drying out the the vines if uh, for no. I mean, this these these steep slopes are extremely well drained. You know, hmm. that is one of the other reason why we don't have terraces. Usually, all over the world, if you have steep slopes, you have terraces to protect the steep slope from erosion. You know. Right. But here you don't barely see any terraces. They're steep, no terraces. Because the soil is so drained, you know? Because why? We have, you see here, here you have a, you have a picture, you know? You have to the top soil, you know? It's only stones, you know? You have only stones on the, on the, on the top, you know? You're like this, you see? You have only stones on the top. Yeah. 70% of the top soil, which is only one meter, uh, 30, 30 feet, two feet, three feet, yeah. three feet, one meter. One, you see here, one feet, uh, three feet topsoil, not even three feet, two feet topsoil. Right. But this topsoil is 60% stones. So the, sto the it is an extremely drained soil. The water is just going so, straight through. So you don't have erosion. Yeah. 
if it would be very heavy tone or a clay, then it would be washed out, you know. But the stones, they don't stones, you know, they they don't get washed away. You know? Is it true? Do you have to actually transport some of these uh, pieces of slate back up the hill? Do they come down or? Well, we have always a little bit, but a little bit. But that's not an issue. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't see it barely at all. Okay, okay. I just remember yeah, reading yeah, that. I'm sure you always have sometimes a thunderstorm or whatever where where 100 liters in, in, in five minutes coming down, then everything is coming down, you know, then even walls, even terraces are coming down, you know. Wow. But we're talking about normal weather situation that you don't have these problems. Sure, you have every five, six years, you have a have a disastrous, you know, storm or whatever where, where some vineyards coming down, but this is, mm. this is a catastrophe which happens since hundreds, thousands of years. You know? I remember also reading that you um, have... Some pretty old vines and ungrafted vines. Yes, that How is that the occur? other reason why we don't have phylloxera. Phylloxera can't live in the soil. Can't. We all know as more drained soil is, as less phylloxera can live in there. Sand soil, for example. Always said phylloxera can't live in sand soil. Why can't phylloxera not live in sand soil? Because sand soil is very drained. It's the most drained soil. But which is more drained? It's soils which are only stones. Because this is basically sand is a soil which has very little stones, you know, very, very little stones, you know. But here we have only big stones. So this is, I mean, this is 10,000 times more drained as sand soil, you know. And that is the reason. And then, see, after three feet of topsoil, then the pure cliff starts. And the roots are going in deep. In the, you see the roots are coming down here, out here. That's remarkable. They're going deep into this kind of fragile cliffs, you know. Slate cliffs and find all the way down here. And you know, here we have another one. How yeah. deep are these roots able to go in, in that? Well, it depends how old the vineyard is, you know. Yeah. So the vineyards, um, we have, my oldest vineyard is 130 years old, you know, and more than 130 years old, uncrafted. You see? Here, the roots here. Everywhere the roots are coming out. They're going through these cracks, you know. You see here? There, the roots are coming out. They're going through these cracks here, so all the way up here, you. You know, and so they can go very deep to these cracks of the, of in the in the in the cliff. You know, and they find their way very deep where they find the water. You know, that's incredible. And that's the reason Philoxa can't get in there. You know, impossible. You know? It's amazing. So Riesling needs a a, a pretty good. It, it does best when it has a very long hang time, right? So well, that is definitely. Uh, barely, I think every wine is doing best if you can extend the hang time without getting overripeness. That is all about it, you know. So that is the problem in certain climates nowadays where it is very hot. A long hang time is really good for the aromatics, you know, because the aroma ripeness, we call we call it, you know, comes with long hang time. You know, that's the reason if you, if you harvest too early, the aroma ripeness isn't there yet, you know. Uh, you might have the sugar ripeness but not the aroma ripeness. And the aroma ripeness always comes later than the sugar ripeness, you know? And that is the problem. So you have to find this kind of ideal place to grow wine where you, where, you know, you have a long hang time, but at the end of the hang time to have the, say, the optimum sugar ripeness, you know, without having overripeness. But if you have a very hot climate, you have to wait at least to get the aroma ripeness ripe, and then often the sugar ripeness is already up to 15, you know, or even higher, you know. Right. Uh, so from that point of view, 
uh, Riesling definitely need the hang time. And therefore, that we had been so much north, it was just revert, reverse. We had very long hang time. The aroma ripeness was already, already totally matured. But we still had been looking for sugar ripeness. And that's the reason we had to wait and wait and wait all the time. But at the other hand, if you have the aroma ripeness, fully aroma ripe grapes, this aroma ripeness can balance out deficit of sugar ripeness. That's the reason that we are able, because a lot of people in Italian, I have a lot of Italian friends, I said, oh, I want to make wines also only with 8-9% alcohol, you know are going to uh, harvest them earlier. But the problem is with harvesting earlier that if they have only 9% potential alcohol sugar ripeness, the aroma ripeness isn't there to balance out the lack of sugar ripeness. But if you have full aroma ripeness, if we harvest end of October, you know, or in my, 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 my mother said they never started before 1st of November. But 1st of November, they started, you know, middle of November, the aroma ripeness after 150 days of hang time was, I mean, completely ripe, you know, the aroma ripeness, you know, but they still have been suffering only with 10% potential alcohol sugar ripeness, you know, mm. but it worked. We could do, we have been able to make wine because the full aroma ripeness balanced out the deficit of sugar ripeness, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work the other way around, sadly. <laughs> After the break, we'll get into cellar practices and how dry, fruity, and sweet wines come to life, and we'll drink some. Someday in the future, hopefully soon, international travel will return. If you're contemplating a special travel experience for a small team of coworkers, or important customers, or just a group of close friends, I'd be happy to consult with you on an itinerary that includes top-notch hotel properties, restaurants, and experiences. Whether it's a private table reservation at Oktoberfest, a full-service ski chalet with a personal chef and butler in the Alps, or maybe a private vineyard stay with a top producer in Italy. You can get a taste of what's possible by checking out eatdrinkfun.com forward slash special adventures. You can also find me on social media at eatdrinkfun, or you can send me a message at info at eatdrinkfun.com. Now, moving into the, into the huh. cellar and, huh. and in winemaking, huh. in making a sweeter wine generally, mm. theory-wise... You know, you can arrest fermentation by chilling. Yes, you, yeah, I mean, that was the traditional way with our, say, traditional fruity style Cabernet, Bale Laser, Auslaser. You, you barely stop the fermentation after two thirds of the fermentation. You stop the fermentation, then you have a little bit of the natural sweetness of the juice, you know, of the grape juice left to balance out usually the high acidity because right. you know if you start picking the grapes are still i mean as i said sugar ripeness is not very high you know aroma ripeness is there but just you know just enough to make it to to, to make a wine um so but that means you have also high acidity you know with these early picked grapes huh? mm. and this high acidity in a dry wine, it would be very austere, you know. So, but if you produce a fruity style wine with a little bit of residual sweetness, that's like lemonade, basically, you know. <laughs> I mean, you have the acidic lime or you know, lemon sweet juice, and, sour. and then sweet mm -hmm. sweetness balance out a little bit the acidity, you know, of the lemon. And that's the same here. You use a little bit of residual sweetness to balance out the high acidity 
of this wine, which we call, for example, Cabinet, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that makes sense. But if you get a, up to a certain ripeness, as long as the hang time is, as riper also the grapes, I mean, the sugar ripeness, and, and higher the sugar ripeness, then we're coming to a natural balance that you can produce these wines as soon as we hit 11, 11.5 potential alcohol sugar ripeness. Then we're using these grapes for our dry wines, you know, because mm. then we got not only a full aroma ripeness, we got also for us a full sugar ripeness. Sounds not very high because in California, the what? 11, 11.5 <laughs> yeah. potential alcohol sugar ripeness. You're talking about full sugar ripeness. For us, it's full sugar ripeness, you know. Um, then you can produce wonderful dry wines, you know. But with the early wines which we pick, you know, the grapes which we pick early, you know, they are still high in acidity. Here we do our cabinets and spätlese in the traditional foodie style. Later, when we get the full sugar ripeness, you know, minimum we want to look, we look for our dry wines, minimum 11.5 potential alcohol sugar ripeness. Then we're using these grapes for our dry wines. You know? right. But if they're much lower, then we do a fruity style Cabernet or Spätlis out of it. What is your overall, of all the production in a single mm. year, what is your breakdown usually of, of sort of your drier wines? Mm. Because, you know, to be a oh. GG, it has to be dry, right? So yes. you have mm. your 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 yes. drier yeah. wines and then your sweeter wines. And, and which? It's possibly 25% is dry. Mm. Possibly 25 to 30%, something around that. And the other wines are produced in the traditional fruity cabinet, spätlese, auslese mm -hmm. style, you know, mm -hmm. some noble rot, you know, with beeren auslese and tropenbeeren auslese. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's much more difficult because we don't want to have botrytis with our dry wines, you know. But we are here on a river. We always have botrytis because botrytis is created by the moisture in the, during the harvest, you know. The fog is rising from the river days in the vineyard in the morning and the afternoon the sunshine is blowing it away you know starts and the botrytis grows on the on the on the berries mm. perf the roots of the botrytis fungi perforates the skin of the berry then the, the you know the sunny mm. afternoons mm. they let the the water evaporate you know out of the out of the berries and the, the berries uh, then start to try to raisins you know have a high sugar concentration That's good for noble sweet wines, you know. We call it also, therefore, we try this, we call it so noble rot, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a rot, but it's a good rot, a noble rot, right. you know. And uh, you get that consistently every year. Oh, yes, you because don't we are on the river. You're on the river. Yeah, we are on the river. Yeah. So that means we select them out. So we, we are not able to produce the whole production as dry wine, because therefore that we use only 100% healthy grapes, um, as you see here. Um, We have these different buckets, you know. Um, every picker has these three buckets, a black bucket, a red bucket, and a little white bucket. So all the healthy grapes, and that is how it looks like, you know, in yeah. the uh, in the vineyard. That was the first day of picking in 2006. 50% of the grapes are already botrytisized. So that means we take the healthy grapes out. It's going into the black bucket. We take the medium botrytisized uh, grapes out, you know, we cut it out here. Yeah. It's going into the red bucket. This is the Aus laser selection, Aus laser selection. The fully botrytisized uh, noble rotten grapes are going into these black buckets, uh, these little white buckets, and these little white buckets is then the BA or TBA, the trochmanoses or bernoses, you know. So you see, the whole quality is based on 
on selection. And you see, if you pick the grapes very early, like here, in the first of the um, very in, in the very beginning, they are still very green, very healthy. Sure, in the very beginning, you know, uh, possibly not hundred percent, not hundred percent sugar ripe yet, you know. So we start with we start picking cabinet with nine potential alcohol sugar ripeness, you know. It's very low, you know. But that is not 100% ripe yet, but you get more of the green fr stone fruit aromas mm -hmm. like green apple. And that is the cabinet then, you know. And so, but if you have a little bit longer hang time, so two weeks longer hang time, you see the, the green in the beginning, they're very green. They get more ripe, sugar ripe, and more aroma ripe. They get more yellowish, you know. Pink, yeah. And they get not pink, yellow, you know. It's yellow? yellow, yeah. Ah, yellowish, you know. Okay. Um, and this yellow, You know, that means you see the wines, the grapes are sweeter, they're more aromatic because you have higher aroma ripeness, more, more sugar ripeness. That is what we call spätlese, later. It's not late harvest because the late harvest in America is, is Bärenhauslese, you know? Right. We call it later harvested, not late harvest, later harvested. It's later harvested as the cabinet. One, seven, eight days, it depends on the weather, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that is then, and here, this we harvest with 10.5 um, to 11.5 potential alcohol. That is then Spätlese, you know. From 9 to 10.5 is Cabinet, potential alcohol, sugar ripeness. From 10.5 to 11.5 potential alcohol, we do the Spätlese. And as soon as the, these healthy grapes hit 11.5 and more, this, you know, this bucket, then we're using it for the dry wines. Mm. Because the houses is then always a the selection. Right. Because we don't want to have with cabinage beers and our dry wines, we barely want to avoid botrytis. Any of that botrytis is only for auslese, bärenauslese, trockenbärenauslese. No? Yeah. And so this is the whole selection. How are you doing this? You know? yeah. It's you, very important. The selection, the selection and the harvest is very important for our quality. I mean, it, that's still the 1971, based off of the 1971. This, these must weights. Yeah, yeah the must weights, right? The, is, are they going to? Revise that, update that, or we start just yeah. The the uh, the 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 EU is just working on a new European wine law, you know, which is more going back to the origin of the vineyard as on pure must weights, you know, as the, what we call the Romanische model, you know, like the French have, you know, mm -hmm. because their quality is more based on the vineyard, you know, right. The It's German the German system was always based only on natural ripeness, sugar ripeness, you know. Yeah. But the 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 the, the Roma Romanic Romanisches model, Roman model, you know, like France and so you know, they have been more. They, they, it's more the vineyard, you know. It's, you know, Cru, Premier Cru, Village, all these things, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and which is what the VDP, obviously, this is kind of their breakdown. Yeah, well, I mean, the funny thing is, we all always had it, said it had been never going into our wine law. But our classification from 1868, which is the same like Burgundy, is 50 years older than the Burgundy <laughs> classification. Yeah. Our classification is much older than the Burgundy classification. 50 years older. So we already had a classification, but sadly started by Napoleon, you know, um, and then the Prussian finished it uh, in 1868, uh, Rheingau 1867. It's one of the most oldest uh, winter classification in the world, you know. Hmm. We always had it, but sadly the German law never integrates our historic maps 
of classification into the German wine law. So from that point of view, um, so our vineyard classification is very accurate. Very, I mean, it's also a three-tier system, you see. Dark brown spots are what they French call the Grand, Grand Cru. Grand Cru. Yeah. And here on this map, they call it Erste Lage, Zweite Lage, Dritte Lage. First side, second side, third side. Which makes it very simple. Everybody knows number one is number one. Erste side, you know, Erste Lage, you know. And so for the French, they are a little bit more clever because they're selling the Premier Cru, the first, the second wine they sell as first, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's very clever, huh? <laughs> yeah, because nobody wants to be second. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people don't understand it. I, I was in Peru with my uh, with my importer, and he always had been talking about, oh, yeah, the best is Premier Cru. He said, no, but best is Grand Cru. Premier Cru is second. Yeah, why is it then Premier Cru, you know? Why is it first side, you know? I said, because the French are very clever. They're selling the second first, you know, which is good. It's I mean, delicious having, wine. It's fantastic. No, no, and it's also a clever marketing yeah, idea. Yeah, it's great marketing. Great, <laughs> great marketing. marketing idea. Yeah, right. So what are we drinking here? This is... We uh, have, I brought you uh, our estate reasoning. Our estate reasoning red slate, because we have these different soil. We have blue slate, we have red slate, we have the red volcanic soil. These are three soil types which we have in our vineyard. And when I took over the winery in 1988 from my father, I decided to work on this old 1868 classification map, you know, and <clears throat> decided because of the confusing names, German names, and so it's too much to the people, to the consumer. I decided I put only a vineyard name on a Dr. Lozen label if the vineyard is Grand Cru rated. So I had this Grand Cru here in Bernkastel, Alai, in Johannesburg, in Karimreich, in Dorpops, in Sonnenruhe, yeah, it's a Ritz Garden, Anna Tripschen, Anna Prelat, you know, Kinama Rosenberg, Lisa Fossil. We have 10 corn crews, you know. So only these 10 corn crew names are making it on a Dr. Lozen label. If the vineyard is Premier Cru rated and Village rated, I don't use the vineyard name. I blend it together by soil type. Everything which is from Red Slate is blended together. It's Premier Cru and Village. And I call it only Dr. Lozen reasoning, but call it after the soil type, or Schiefer or Red Slate. The ones which are coming from the Blue Slate, it's all the, you know, the medium brown and pale brown spots from mm -hmm. Berncastle, Grafwil, and Zeltingen. It's all Blue Slate. I plan together and call it then Dr. Lozen reasoning Blue Slate, you know? So if it is, if you see only a Winyard name on the label, if it is called Blue so it makes it very easy for the consumer. Because if they see a vineyard name on a Dr. Lozen label, it's always Grand Cru. Now we have a Grand Cru vineyard. It's called Kracher Himmelreich. Krach is the village. Himmelreich is the name of the vineyard. It means kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven vineyard of the village of Krach. Kracher. Krach is the village. Kracher. E-R in German means always from. Like New York, New, New Yorker. Yorker. New Yorker is from, you know, so from. And then the Riesling Alte Reben means old vines. This is 130-year-old uncrafted wines, wow. you know, from the Kracher Himmelreich vineyard. It's a dry wine. It's a GG. Here, you see it up here. It's a GG. Großes Gewächs. And is the direct translation of Grand Cru into German because we are not allowed to use the trademark, the French trademark Grand Cru, but we are allowed to use the German translation of Grand Cru, you know. Mm -hmm. And so the German translation of Grand Cru is Großes Gewächs, or we shorten it with GG. It's always a dry wine. We produce these whites in a very traditional style, 
my grand grandfather from my father's side. This is an amalgamation of two estates, the estate where we are sitting now. It's my mom's estate. She comes from a very famous family, the J.J. Prum family. Mm-hmm. No, my mom's family is the, comes from the Prum family. My father is from Erzurg. Both have been single kids. My mom and father, they both inherit a wine estate. My mom's family, the Prum still until today, um, produce only fruity style wines, you know, wines with cabinet beta, the also with some original sweetness. But the family of my father, my grand grandfather, my grandfather produced only dry wines, hmm. never fruity style wine. My grand grandfather said, sweetness doesn't belong to wine. A wine has to be dry, you know. And so different, I mean, different attitude, opinion about winemaking. So he made only dry wines and he had a very special winemaking, you know. He kept the wine, I mean, in these days, everything was fermented in the traditional oak barrels, you know, what they call fooder barrels here. We still have a huge barrel cellar, you know. So 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 liter barrels, you know. And so he fermented everything on indigenous yeast and these fooder barrels, as we call them, you know. But he has a very um, own idea about making dry wines. He never wrecked the wines. He left the wine then two years in the barrel on the full yeast, on the full yeast, on the gross yeast, you know, mm-hmm. not no wrecking, not, not on the fine yeast, on the full yeast for minimum two years up to eight years on the full yeast. That was his dry wines. And I rediscovered this winemaking again. We've, uh, we think it's sensational, you know, and so we all our dry wines are made in this old style of my grandfather, you know, mm-hmm. all indigenous yeast in these old barrels. Minimum one to eight years in the barrel on the full yeast. Wow. This is now Kracher Himmelreich, 130-year-old uncrafted wines, original rootstocks, um, Grand Cru, Kracher Himmelreich. And you see it's, it's very, it's much more complex as the state reasoning. The state reasoning here is Village, you know, Village mm-hmm. and Premier Vineyard. This is Grand Cru Vineyard, really no? wow. powerful yeah. and not powerful by alcohol. It's only 12.5. The year the, the, the estate reasonings are 12 and the concours are 12.5. So are still by international standard, very moderate in alcohol, yeah. you know. There's still really mm. beautiful fruit, beautiful yeah. fresh yeah. fruit in here. And, but definitely not as, as mm. fruit forward as the mm. first one. You get a little mm. bit more roundness with this. It's more complex, you know, yeah. much more complex. Yeah, it's quite a difference, you know. Here you see the difference between village and concours, you know. Just in length alone, because yes, this is evolving. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Even yes, as yes. I mm-hmm. tasted and I. Yes. And so that makes also this is. I mean, my grand grandfather was really a very good winemaker. If it came came to dry wines, even hundred years ago, he made really fantastic dry wines. You know. Very, what are What good. are some of the oldest bottles that you have? Because I know recently yeah, the oldest dry wine from my grand grandfather was nineteen forty seven. I had you know, but the oldest fruity style wine. From, that's from the family of my mom, you know, Feine Ausleser, Feinste Ausleser. I had, uh, the oldest was 1920, 1920, 21, 38, uh, 47, 49, you know. Wow. Um, but that was all the fruity style Ausleser, you know. But the oldest dry wine I had from our family was the 47 Urziger Wurzgarten dry made by my great grandfather. Two, three years in the barrel of the full yeast, you know, fantastic. How was that? Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Still very, very good. It was 2008, this one. So 10, 12 years ago. It was 51 years old then, you know? Oh, wow. Are you ever recovering older bottles, finding older bottle? I mean... Oh, no, we have people. a huge cellar of old bottles. Yeah. We, I have, I mean, oh, 
God, including all the reserve wines which I put away because we have 350,000 bottles in the cellar. <laughs> and yeah, and older vintages, I have everything back, but not the dry ones, you know, everything back to 47 fruity style wines, you know. Dry wines are going back to 88, you know. Uh, but fruity, I have everything back to 47 you know, in, in the cellar. So was it in 1988 when you decided in part of this pursuit to, to you know, be the ambassador of Riesling and get Riesling out there? We have to make dry Rieslings. Well, and I'm, I'm not, in, I'm not uh, I mean, dogmatic about dry and so, because as you said, Riesling is very versatile. Mm -hmm. And we produce all the styles of Riesling, no? I'm not this kind of, I mean, in the old days, the people had been more kind of, you know, I do only sweet and I do only dry. We do everything because Riesling can do everything, no? Riesling is like an actor who can place in a lot of plays, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so from that point of view, we do dry wines where it works. We do cabinet where it works. We do medium dry wines where it works, you know? And so we have the whole range, you know? And the thing that, I mean... Because uh, we the are not able to make only dry wines. Right. Because if we, the crepes which are coming in with 10 potential alcohol, you can't do, make a dry wine with it. It's too harsh, too astringent, you know, too, too stare. Right. You know? So we can do only... You can make only dry wines from fruit, which, which, which suits the dry style. Yeah, sugar you know? alcohol. Yeah. And the other, the other grapes which we harvest, they they wouldn't make a great dry wine, you know, from mm -hmm. that point of view. So we look to the fruit, you know. Yeah, the American palate generally favors sweetness anyway. They a little bit people more sweetness, may yes. mm -hmm. claim that they are, uh, you know, they drink dry wines, but if you put a sweeter wine in front of them, they yeah. say, "Oh, that's delicious. That's great." I know how we call it. <laughs> uh, we had this great. We had this great experience. Now we have a very traditional classic cabinet from the Vilna Sandwood, 2019 Vilna Sandwood cabinet, you know. Beautiful. That is a traditional fruity style wine. And now we had this tasting that was in a supermarket in Ohio, you know. Um, and there was this old lady who dropped by, you know, and tasted a Naus laser, you know. And, you know, Naus laser is pretty sweet, you mm -hmm. know. And tasted the Naus laser and said, oh! My God, this is the most beautiful dry Riesling I ever had, you know. And then my my national salesman, Brian Harlan, said, "Yes, my lady, this is Ohio dry." <laughs> 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 so we call now sweet wines always Ohio. Dry. Ohio dry, yeah. <laughs> That's Ohio dry. <laughs> I think in Sweden, Texas. Uh, is actually just another word for crazy. So oh, really? if Texas. you say something, yeah, that's Texas hot. It actually means it's just crazy hot. Or that person, yeah. But it's yeah, Ohio this lady, sweet. This, uh, well, this lady, oh, this is the most beautiful dry reasoning I ever had in my life. Yes, my lady, that's Ohio dry. <laughs> See, my main failure is that yeah. I love everything. Yeah. So I, Me I mean, honestly, I, I tell you, I love. What you, what's your favorite? Ice cold a cabinet out of the ice bucket as a reception. That was always the tradition. A fruity style cabinet. In this house, with my grandfather, that was a tradition here. In England, you offer a cup of tea at four o'clock in the afternoon when you receive guests. Here in the Mosul, it was always, if you receive guests, you know, as in, in Italy, if you receive guests, they, they offer you a little bit of an, of an Vinsanto, you know, mm -hmm. as a little glass, as a welcome drink. Here, it was always a cabinet. 
Cabinet ist the traditional welcome drink, you know, um, aperitif, afternoon drink, when you, when friends coming, you're sitting together, we don't drink tea or coffee, you always offer, oh, come, let's have a glass of Cabinet, you know. And so yes. that is a typical, that's not a, you know, necessarily a food wine. This wine is very nice with Asian food, I mean, spicy food, salty food or mm. whatever. That works very well. Or in the old days, before 71, a cabinet, which was called Naturwein or Naturwein, was much lower in residual sweetness because it was limited by the law. Until 71, the residual sweetness in cabinet and spätes was limited by the by the amount of alcohol. If you had 80 gram per liter alcohol, you know, in the wine, the wine was not only allowed to have 20 gram residual sweetness. Alcohol in gram per liter divided by four was the maximum residual sweetness. That's the reason that the old days, if you have the old people, especially in America, you know, who knows still the 50s and the 60s of the cabinet, you know, or the Natur wine, they always said, oh, I mean, a cabinet is a dry wine. Because it used to be more mm. or less a drier wine because it was only allowed to be 20 cameras each sweetness. And if you drink that, my grandfather never drank a cabinet when it was not minimum 15 years old. And then if you had, say, when he drank 1986, you know, uh, 68, a cabinet that was a 1950 or 1952 or 55, you know, that was 15 years old, you know, and then it was not very sweet anyway. Mm in the beginning, and as older it becomes, this little bit of sweetness fades away and it tastes again drier. They drank also cabinet with food, with a traditional kind of local food. Mm -hmm. But the wine was much drier, you know? So people don't know this anymore, you know? But then 71, as I said, this wine law, I mean, liberalized everything, you know? Liberalized also the borderlines for sweetness. They said, okay, a wine now, from 71 on, a wine needs only 7%, minimum 7% alcohol. All the rest can be sweetness. But that was before 71, not the case. That's the reason Cabernet mm. and it was much drier in these days. I produce these wines again, and I would call them tradition. I produce exactly the wines out of the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s again, you know. I call it tradition. I do it exactly in the way as my grandfather did it here from this estate. I do the, my grandfather's dry wines from mm -hmm. my father's estate, and I do the traditional fruity style wines of my grandfather here. We call them this line tradition. They also stay two years in the barrel, you know, right. on the fine yeast. They have only have 20, 25 gram residual sweetness, you know, totally different animal, how they produce cabinet in the old days, you know. Yeah. And we call it tradition, but we release it after 10 years, you know, because the problem is, The biggest problem for us is if I put such a cabinet into the row of these cabinets to the wine spectator, it sucks. They give me 68 points for these wines, you know, <laughs> because they look only for sweetness, you know. Right. The sweetest wine get the highest point, you know. But I mean, if you put a 20 gram residual sweetness cabinet into the lion of 70 gram residual sweetness cabinet, you, know, you don't have a chance, you know. But if these wines are 10 years old, they are totally different animals, you know. And so, and then you don't need the press anymore because everybody likes it, loves it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, that's the thing. I love this. Yes, I mean, I love all of them, but, you know. Yeah. That, and, then, and, and, the, and that is the good thing, you know, that you can drink it, you know, so nicely as an aperitif in the afternoon. It's only 8.5 alcohol or 9% alcohol, you know? That makes it beautiful, you know? Easy but to drink on its own. Huh? It is easy to drink. And, and the thing is, it's, it definitely has sweetness, but... It's very well balanced. It's so well balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Acid, 
Yeah. And and just yeah, fruit and it's got length. Mm. It's really, really nice. It's very zippy. Mm. Precise. Mm. Yeah. So last thing. Uh-huh. I'm I'm wondering, you know, and we we sort of addressed it a little bit earlier. Uh-huh. Um with COVID nineteen and and just how things have been going and, and the response. In Stuttgart, our wine consumption went up. We were buying more wine. It was, uh, you know, free delivery if you were buying a certain number of bottles. And I'm just wondering, overall, how has the impact been for you? And, you know, how do you, do you think anything has changed going forward or? Um, well, I mean, first, I mean, I mean, due to COVID, three months, all restaurants have been closed. For us, it was bad because we, you know, usually you want to sell a lot of wine to to, to restaurants because restaurants have a good, you know, good reputation to, I mean, as a good impact on as uh, on, on people who drink the wine in the restaurant, they like it, they come to you and buying it, you know, has a huge spreads, you know, good reputation, you know. So a lot of people, the French always want to be in restaurants, you know, we want to be in restaurants, you know. Okay, COVID was, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that was Everywhere. a bad thing. It's a disaster. Because the restaurants had to close, you know, three months, no sales. 70% of our sales here in Germany are restaurants, you know, wow. and that, that's gone, you know, and we don't get it back. The three months are lost, you know. And so, which is, uh, sure, we have a little bit more sales to private cons- consumers, you know, they, but we don't have our own web page and, you know, web shop. So we had, Quite still okay, uh, trade business. The trade still bought because they all the all the trade which had a strong web shop, they had been definitely the winner out of the crisis. They sold so much more, you know. They said, "Oh my God, the web shop it was so." So it's not that the people drank less, you know. The people drank at home, you know. The funny thing, everybody says this. Also, even my, my, the girl in the export department said, look, man, since Corona, we drink so much. We drink at home the whole time. And the, I think that makes a difference. If you go to a restaurant, you have to pay for an estate Riesling 30, 40 bucks, you know, but here it, it's 10 bucks at the shop, you know, yeah. with us, you know, so it means for the one bottle you drink in the restaurant, you can buy four bottles. And if you have the four bottles, you drink that four bottles at home, you know, so for that point, they consume. We, still, we did the math. Yeah. It worked out that well. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So, <laughs> so the people drink more. And then everybody tells me, you know what? We drink since Corona. We drink at home. We drink so much more at home as we did before. Funny, huh? Yeah. yeah. But um, we had more you know, connection to the restaurant. So we lost here the German market. We lost some business, you know, because due to the sure. to the to the restaurants, you know. But, but this will go over too. I mean, I'm pretty much sure. But, you know, we here in the countryside, we are not much affected by this whole Corona thing. Big cities, a little bit the same, you know. It seems to be um, uh, yeah, here in Germany, it's also a state decision as in, 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 in mm-hmm. not federal, you know, decision. So every state here in Germany has its own laws, how to fight Corona. And so um, now it's slowly picking up again. The restaurants are open, as you know. Um, we'll see. But Germany, I'm sure, I mean, I think Germany have been going through it, I mean, pretty... In a very, they've been doing it in a very deliberate, I Mm. think, and responsible Mm, way, mm, mm. you know, and people take it seriously. And, Mm. you know, in some respects, I think when you go to a place now, any restaurant or any establishment, Mm. 
It's nice. They have hand sanitizer up front. Yes, people are wearing their masks. There's no pushback on that, and I think um, you know. I think I think they've been they've done very well. I don't feel much uh, limited, to be frank. Not here. I mean, okay, we are living here on our own. You know, no neighbors. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I take the dog walking. You know, I mean, so okay. All the rules you have to do, going to a restaurant, wearing your mask until the, the table, then you can take it off and everything, and distancing. You do everything, what, what you have to do, you know, mm-hmm. but it seems to work somehow, you know. Yeah. Um, and here, I know, so we have two hospitals here in the county, you know, and not a single intense care room was used during the whole COVID oh. time, you know. So, I mean. That's lucky. That's mm-hmm. very good. That's very good. So they as took some as, French. <laughs> I think they took some French. People. They did, yeah, yeah, for sure. From uh, Alsace, I know. Yeah. Um, so, at least then thinking about the future and going forward, and you mentioned, I mean, it's, what's unfortunate is that there are some really good restaurants that maybe not coming back. And I think mean, we definitely don't know. I mean, that is still. I think beginning of next year, we know which restaurants survived and which not. But I, I'm hundred percent sure that 30% of the restaurants will go bust, you know? And now the restaurants all don't have capital, you know? That's They're a very all, tough restaurants one. always, I mean, live, as we say, hand in the mouth, you know? They don't have, they don't have, they don't have reserves, you know? Um, so how should they do this, you know? How should they pay the rent, you know? Okay, they can send the, the employees to Kurzarbeit or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, but still they have their costs, you know, they have their rent, they have their whatever, you know, so, I mean, um, it's gonna I don't know how they want time. to, I mean, I, I'm pretty much sure, I mean, as long the real estate is not in their property, that they don't have to pay rent and these things, you know, it's very tough, it's very tough, you know. Yeah. But, huh. I think, you know, you've got such a great reputation here and your wines are... <laughs> Are very good. Someone's going to drink them, uh, yeah. and they're no, going to get out there. So. We are pretty widely, um, you know, um, widely distributed. We do eighty countries around the world, you know. And so we're still selling. You know? yeah. We're still selling to. Is the U.S. Place. must be still though your biggest market? No, it is still our biggest market. Yeah. It was always our biggest market, even bigger. As I said in the, in the days of my dad, he sold ninety-five percent of the whole production to the U.S. I have been going, for me, it was a little bit too risky, one, you know, too many eggs in one bag. Yeah. Um, but it is still with us 50%, 60%. So it would still hurt very, very badly if this 100% uh, or tariff would be uh, introduced. Because then even 50% is too much, you know. Um, but we all beg and hope and pray and whatever. Right now, that's pretty much all we can do. Yeah. How does, how does Asia look, though? Asia is basically, to be frank, uh, so if we look into the export market, all, 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 we lost here and there and so, but certain export markets have been exploding, like Scandinavia. Oh, we are so much up in Scandinavia hmm. and so much up in China, you know, mainland China because they are so much further advanced in mail order business and they only Companies also here in Germany and everywhere where they really gain from this thing was their mail order company because the people sitting at home, they, sh- they shop online, you know, 
and these all these mail order companies, you know, which shipping wine and and you know, and China is extremely far advanced, you know, if it comes to you know mail order JD and you know what is it Alibaba and whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, I tell you, man, there's there there are some gigantic mail order companies for wine there, you know. It's the future. <laughs> yeah, that's the future. So and that's one company, you know, barely little girl, 30 years old, who was running it, you know, she saved our all overall export market. because She did such a big order. She put such a big order in, you know, that it balanced out all the losses in with other countries like South America or other Asian countries because certain Asian countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, they, for them, it was a great argument now to ban alcohol completely. You know? mm. They always wanted to do it, but they always have been frightened because, you know, Bali, high-end tourist region, they would lose all the tourism if they wouldn't sell alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. But then now they could use this corona thing. So Indonesia, with corona, no alcohol anymore. You know, mm. It's not allowed to distribute it anymore. Malaysia mm -hmm. and so, you know, certain kind. I mean, Dubai was also a big market for us, you know, uh, no alcohol anymore, you know. Is so, that a temporary thing, do you think, or do you think it's coming back? That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Well, at least for now, it's for now that's banned, the normal. You know? hmm. And so, so we lost a certain markets. South America is also bad. They forbid any imports. South Africa, uh, also South Africa banned every sales of wine. You know, wine sales. They just started to open it again. You know, so from that point of view, certain markets are completely zero. You know, hmm. uh, on the other markets. Even England have been still going up, and Scandinavia and mainland China. The U.S. is not too bad because the same thing. We lost the the the. the I mean, distributors sell to restaurants and to trade, so definitely the restaurants didn't couldn't yeah. sell wine. You know, well, we have so many messed up laws. I mean, I, yeah, I, the fact that they're relaxing a little bit some of the regulations because mm -hmm. we have we have rules for everything yeah. that include you know and you then can't sell. Federal. Yeah, and yeah. you can't sell wine curbside yeah. from a restaurant, yeah. right? Whereas here in Germany, if you want to take the bottle with you or, you know, you want to just pop into a restaurant and buy because a beer, we, we don't it's even, okay. We don't even have a, uh, you don't need even a license to sell alcohol. Everybody's allowed to sell alcohol. Really? Yeah. If you're a restaurant, you don't need an alcohol license? No. Really? And we don't have duty and tax on wine too. Only VAT, but VAT is on everything, you know? Yeah. We don't have duty and tax on wine and we don't have license, you know. You can go to the here to the local mayor to the town hall, mm. get a what you need a Gewerbeschein, they call it, you know, for to make a business, you need, you know, a license for the business, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was five dollars and then you can sell whatever you like. I mean, possibly not nuclear weapons, you know. <laughs> but but <laughs> wine and alcohol, no problem. That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I feel very, very fortunate for our situation. Having been uh, uh, locked down in Stuttgart, you know, our beer, our local beer distributor was making out like a bandit. In, yeah. uh, but in it is well. every, every. I mean, the beverage industry is hit because of the close down of, of the restaurants. Of course, right? I've heard Bitburger Brewery also are down. You know, mm -hmm. they are doing Kurzarbeit and so because you know, I mean, beer is consumed in pubs and. Restaurants and whatever, sporting events, and, everything yeah. else, you know, and all these and these all these wine mark. I mean, you know, festivals, you know. Yeah, I mean, we all know that um, Oktoberfest will not happen this year, you know. Yeah. For uh, us in Stuttgart, it's the Kanstadt of Asen. Yeah, Kanstadt of Asen. They will not do it, though. No, 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 no it's yeah. canceled. So that's big, 
Big loss for the people who have these tents there. The, the tens of thousands of visitors that come to yeah. place. And they live, I mean, these tents live the whole year. They live from this one event, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do any other business as this one thing. Yeah. That is a big thing. You know, big loss. I want to say thank you yeah, very you much. You've been you very, welcome. very gracious with your thanks, time. Thanks, I thanks, appreciate yeah. it. I learned an incredible <laughs> amount, actually. Um, <laughs> So this has been this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for the tasting as well. You're welcome. So You're I wish welcome. you thanks. Best of luck and yes, uh, sure. lots of future success. Yes. yes. And thank you for making Riesling. Uh, yes. And I have what it is. I have an, in, a, in one hour. I have a Zoom meeting with my people in the U.S. with my Lozen Brothers USA. Our first half year. I mean year today. Business report. Let's see what they will tell me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> If they're already bankrupt or not. <laughs> no, I doubt it. No, it doesn't. doesn't. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I've put a lot of links in the show notes. You can find them at eatdrinkfun.com forward slash podcast episodes. If you have time, I do appreciate your review wherever you guys get your podcasts. And as always, please send suggestions for future episodes. I'm at Eatring Fun on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again to Ernie Lozen and the team at Weingut Dr. Lozen. The intro music is Pluck It Up by Dan Hennig. The ad music is Ice Cream by Joey Pecoraro. And this outro tune is Nimbus by Eveningland. Please stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands, mask up, and let's get traveling again. Until next time, here's to eating well, drinking better, and always having fun.